Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and we will be in verses 34 through 38 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you'll notice in the chair in front of you there's a Bible. We'd love for you to take that Bible uh, as a gift from First Baptist to you. I want to welcome you back to our sermon series entitled, This is My FBC. Over the last seven weeks, Pastor Steve has been unveiling the new mission and vision statements for First Baptist. And quickly, I want to go back through uh, those to highlight it. First, our mission. The mission of First Baptist is this. FBC exists to embrace great commandment love, which fuels great commission living. FBC exists to embrace great commandment love, which fuels great commission living. What does that mean? To embrace means to take hold of. And so we believe that it's our mission as the church to embrace the great commandment and the great commission. Again, the great commandment, if you remember in Scripture, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said this. He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, and the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, that's very important because when he says that, what is Jesus referring to when he says the law and the prophets? He is referring to what we know today as the Old Testament. That was the Bible of Jesus' day. And so he's saying that the entire Bible depends and rests on these two things. So what we're saying is, is that as a church, we want to be a people who embrace the great commandment. We want to be a people who love God and who experience the love of God. And because of that, we want to turn and we want to show that same love to other people. And if we are properly loving God and being loved by God, then we will love other people. And as a part of that, we will then go out And that will be the motivator or what fuels us to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission, which is what? If you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus told us that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. But what did he command us to do? He commanded us to love God and love people. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, this is why we are here. This is why First Baptist Church has existed for over a hundred years. I would say that if we are not going to be about the great commandment, and we are not going to be about the great commission, then let's just shut the doors right now. Let's turn off the lights, shut the doors, and let's put a for sale sign out on 71 because this is what we've been called to do. You see, this this is the mission of the church, 
And when I say church, I mean big C. This is not just the mission for First Baptist Church. This is God's mission for His church universal. Though other churches may say it differently, ultimately this is the mission of the church, and we do not have permission to change the mission of the church. Now, when we talk about vision, vision is how we are going to go about living out this mission. Again, uh, as a reminder, we are not, when we talk about the vision, we are not saying that this is who we are currently, okay? This is who we are striving to be. This is where we are headed. It is a preferred vision of the kind of church that we want to become. And so, as again, as a reminder, this is our vision. We want to provide people with a place to belong, a path to become, and an opportunity to believe in the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the past two weeks, Pastor Steve has helped us to see and understand the first part of the vision, to be a place where people can belong. You see, within each and every one of us, there is this longing for community. There is this longing for relationship. Church, people are hungry for relationships. People are hungry and they desire community, especially now, especially over the last year, as COVID has just ravaged uh, our world and people have been separated from one another. They long to be together again. You see, we want to be a church where people can feel like they belong, no matter their race, no matter their socioeconomic situation, no matter their education level, no matter their political affiliation, whether they are married or whether they are single. We want First Baptist Church to be a place where people feel like they can belong. This morning, I want to lead us to consider the next part of the vision, where it says we want to provide people with a path to become. Well, that begs the question, become what? You see, we want to provide a path for people to become a disciple of Jesus Christ that embraces the great commandment and lives out the great commission. So this morning, I want to present you with Jesus' invitation to follow him as his disciple. Would you pray again with me? Father, I pray now, Lord, that as we open up your word, that you would speak, Lord. God, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. What does it cost to be a disciple of Jesus? Is it enough to simply attend church? to attend church on Sunday morning and then maybe come back on Wednesday night? Or if you're really committed to be involved in a growth group, is that all that it takes to be a follower of Jesus? Well, the answer is very simple. And the answer is no. That's not all that, that it takes. That's not all that is required. Church attendance on Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not all that's required of a disciple. In the biblical text that we'll consider today, Jesus outlines what is required for any who would come and be his disciples. He makes the cost of discipleship crystal clear to each of us. 
In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, Jesus says that to be his disciple will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. So if you would, stand with me as we read God's word this morning. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. It's been said that Mark 8, 34 through 38 is one of the most important passages about Christian discipleship in all of the New Testament. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor, theologian, said, quote, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life, end quote. This quote by Dr. Bonhoeffer plays out here in the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Dr. Vance Havner, arguably one of the greatest Southern Baptist evangelists of the last century, said this, quote, our Lord never put discipleship in fine print in the contract. He called us to forsake all, take up our cross, deny self, and love him more than anything else. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. The personal property of Jesus Christ with no right to anything, end quote. You see, Jesus was never one to play down the terms of discipleship. He wanted all would-be disciples to understand what being ally allied with him meant and what the journey involved. No one could ever say that they were induced to follow Jesus by false pretenses. Jesus never tried to bribe men or women. He did not offer them an easy way. You see, the pathway of discipleship is difficult. It's filled with hardship. But however, the reward that comes with following Christ is so much greater than the cost. Again, here in Mark 8, 34 through 38, we're gonna look through this passage. We'll walk through it together. Here, verse 34 and he summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, the invitation to follow Christ is extended to all. The invitation is not simply for a select few. Jesus summoned both the crowd and his disciples. And he said, if anyone anyone wishes to come after me. This is important because I want you to understand the path of discipleship is one of choice. It's one of choice. Christ will not force you to follow him. 
There has to be a sense of desire within the individual and not because you have to, but because you want to. However, once that decision has been made to follow Christ, once the decision has been made to take that step to become a disciple, there are requirements that must be met. Notice, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, he must. Meaning this is not open for discussion. This is a command that has been given. He must. What must we do? First, we must deny, it says, he says, we must deny himself. You know, ordinarily, when we think of the term to deny oneself of something, we think about giving something up. We use phrases like, well, I'm going to give up soda for such and such time because I know it's not necessarily good, or I know I need to deny myself or cut back on the sweets. I need to eat more fruits and vegetables. I have a hard time with the second one of those, Uh, but we say that, or I'm going to cut back on the amount of time I spend on electronic devices because this is consuming my time. So when we talk about denying self, when we think of self-denial, it's usually in a restricted sense. But this is not what Jesus meant when he said that we must deny self. You see, to deny oneself means in every moment of life, I am saying no to self and yes to God. What I'm doing is I'm saying no to the me first mentality that exists in all of us. It's so to treat the self as though it does not exist. You see, usually we treat ourselves as if our self was far more important than anything else in our world. It acknowledges that self is no longer in charge, but God is in charge. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, for the believer, it is a battle between the two selves. There's first the old self that exists pre-Christ coming into our lives. This is the self that is selfish, that thinks only of number one. The self that seeks to be in charge of one's life. The self that pursues desires that are attractive to it. Paul says, that is the self that dies. That it is no longer I who live. That self is gone but it is this new self post-Christ. The self that says to God, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. The self that places God on the throne of our lives. Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why deny self? Because Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, 
The Apostle Paul says, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You see, to deny self means to move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. One commentator stated it like this, quote, If a man will follow Jesus, he must ever say no to himself and say yes to Jesus. He must say no to his own natural love of ease and comfort. He must say no to every course of action based on self-seeking and self-will. He must say no to the instincts and desires which prompt him to touch and taste and handle forbidden things. He must unhesitatingly say yes to the voice and command of Jesus. He lives no longer to follow his own will, but to follow the will of Christ. And in that service, he finds perfect freedom." End quote. Church, God refuses to accept a minor role in our lives. He requires the controlling place. And I would just ask you, why should he accept a minor role in our lives? Why should he? He gave all for us. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and secondly, take up his cross and follow me. You see, our view of the cross today is very different than the way the cross was viewed to these original readers of the Gospel of Mark. In a lot of places today, the cross is seen simply as a piece of jewelry or a decoration that one puts up in their homes. Many Christians today wear a cross around their necks as a source of great pride or as a symbol of their identification as Christians. However, for the first century Christian, the cross held a very different meaning. The cross was an instrument of cruelty and pain, dehumanization and shame. It represented the Roman oppression reserved for the lowest classes, and it was designed especially for criminals. Cicero, the famous Roman senator, said of crucifixion, quote, Crucifixion was a cruel, disgusting penalty, the worst of extreme tortures inflicted on slaves and something to be dreaded, end quote. The cross to the first century believer held a different meaning than it does to us today. Again, it was one that was seen as a stance for those who would stand in opposition to the Roman government. It was something deemed as shameful. Many times when the Romans would crucify a person, they would strip them naked and nail them to the cross. It was a means of great suffering. Crucifixion was extremely painful, as you can only imagine, having nails driven through your hands and your feet. And ultimately, it was the source of death. Ultimately, the individual would die of suffocation upon the cross. You see, today, bearing a cross has become a figure of speech, meaning to put up with a simple inconvenience or hardship. But this is not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. Again, for some, taking up the cross means martyrdom 
to die for the faith, particularly in the day in which this was written. Many Christians died for the faith. Today, are you going to be asked to die for your faith living in this country? Probably not. Who knows? You may. But there are still many Christians around the world where taking up the cross means literally embracing death for the sake of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, in taking up the cross, we must be ready to endure the worst that man can do to us for the sake of being true to Christ. If we're to be disciples of Jesus, we must be ready and willing to take up the cross and in so doing, join the ranks of the despised and hated. You see, we have to embrace, taking up the cross involves embracing the opposition that will come. I'm sure many of us never believed this would happen, but we see in our own nation that Christianity is becoming, that people are becoming more and more hostile towards Christians, even our own government. So as the days go on and things get worse, true discipleship will be embracing the opposition that comes our way. We have to embrace the shame that we know is to come. We have to be willing to embrace the suffering. Notice here that Jesus did not invite us to simply try on the cross for size. But he said, take it up. We have to be willing to even embrace death itself. Jesus told us in the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, blessed, hear that, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He went on to say in Matthew 10, 22, notice, you will, okay? You will be hated by all. Why? Because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.10 said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul is expressing his longing for Christ but not just for the benefits that come from knowing Christ. He's saying, no, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be conformed to his death. The Apostle Paul goes on and tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. You want to talk about a, a Christian who had a strong theology of suffering and understood what it was about. It was the Apostle Paul. I would tell you today, church, we do not have a, a true understanding or a true theology of suffering. If we are honest, the church in America is soft because we have had it so good for so long that we don't understand what it is to suffer. 
We don't understand what it is to experience persecution, not like what Paul's talking about. But see, this is the path of discipleship. This is what we should be expecting. The fact that we've had it so good is is a blessing. It's the icing on the cake. We should expect this, suffering, persecution. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, again, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We should expect persecution. If we are walking the path of discipleship, we should expect, expect persecution, which begs the question then, if we are not experiencing these things he's talking about, why? Maybe we haven't fully embraced the path that Jesus has called us to. Because if you fully embrace it, if you walk this path, these things are a certainty. You see, this is what separates disciples from admirers of Jesus. You see, there's a lot of people out there who admire Jesus. They think he was a good guy. He did a lot of good things. They even like a lot of what he had to say. But the separation between an admirer of Jesus and the disciple of Jesus is this right here. Because you see, an admirer will only go to a certain point. And usually that point is when sacrifice and suffering are required. But the disciple is to go all the way. Thomas A. Kempis, Christian author during the medieval period, said this, quote, Jesus today has many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who carry his cross. Many who yearn for comfort, few who long for distress. Plenty of people he finds to share his banquet, few to share his fast. Everyone desires to take part in his rejoicing, but few are willing to suffer anything for his sake. There are many that follow Jesus as far as the breaking of bread, few as far as drinking the cup of suffering. Many that revere his morality, few that follow him in the indignity of his cross. Many that love Jesus as long as nothing runs counter to them. Many that praise and bless him as long as they receive comfort from him. But should Jesus hide from them, and leave them for a while, they fall to complaining or, or become deeply depressed. Those who love Jesus for his own sake, not the sake of their own comfort, bless him in times of heartache and trouble as much as when they are full of consolation. In the Gospel of Luke, when Luke shares his account of this passage, Luke attaches the word daily to the command to take up the cross. For you see, there is a battle that goes on with the self, and it is a battle that has to be fought daily. It is fought daily, and it must be won over and over again. I love how one commentator put it. He said, quote, The really important thing is not the great moments of sacrifice, but a life lived in constant hourly awareness of the demands of God and the needs of others. The Christian life is a life which is always concerned with others more than it is concerned with self, end quote. Jesus says, follow me. It's a moment by moment decision. Following him is choosing to take the same road of sacrifice 
and suffering that Jesus took. You see, it's being prepared to obey God's word and to follow his will no matter what the consequences are. Following the way that he has chosen, not the way that we would choose. Again, one commentator said it this way, quote, following Jesus to Golgotha is not a detour. Following Jesus to Golgotha is not a detour. It's the main road. In the next four verses, we'll see the motivation or the argument for why we must deny self and take up the cross and follow him. You see, Jesus wants us to see the reasoning behind his command. Parents, any of you that are parents, have you ever uh, told your child, don't ask why, just do it because I said so? Anyone here ever used that phrase? Don't ask why, just do what I tell you to do. Now, Jesus could have very well said this here. He could have said, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Don't ask why. Just do it because I'm God and I said so. He could have easily said that. But he doesn't. He wants us to understand the why behind what he's asking. So in verses 35 through 38, you'll notice each one starts with four, the word four. That's the beginning of the reason. He's going to explain why do we do this. So verse 35, for whoever wishes to, to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here we're confronted with a paradox. This doesn't make sense. How is it possible that if we want to save our lives, we have to lose it? And that if we lose our lives, we'll actually save it. So how does one attempt to save his own life. We attempt to save our own lives by doing the opposite of what the cross calls for. Again, I told you the cross, it demands opposition to the ways of the world. It, it, it requires taking on the shame, taking on suffering, taking on death. But you see, humans, as humans, we try to do the opposite because we believe the opposite will safeguard our lives. So instead of pushing back and accepting the opposition, we look for acceptance according to worldly standards. We pursue worldly comforts. We work to safeguard our lives. We think if we can get into the right jobs and have the right retirement packages, if we live in the right neighborhoods, attend the right schools, acquire as many material possessions as we can, that somehow that's providing security for our lives. The world tells us that we're to look out for number one. The world says to save yourself, love yourself, pamper yourself, live for yourself and all of your desires. But here's the problem with that. All of our best efforts to safeguard our lives is an exercise in futility. We cannot save our own lives. And Jesus wants us to understand what are the risks of trying to do that. You've heard it said, you only have one life, so live it to the fullest. Now, this statement, there is some truth in this statement, but it's not completely true because it's built, it's built on a faulty premise. First, this is not the only life we have. There is another life beyond this one. And to live life to the fullest is a nice statement, However, what, are they, what does the world mean when it says live life to the fullest? 
It's the idea that you should enjoy everything you can in life. Fill your life with all of the things that you love and you desire. The focus in this mentality is on self. And Jesus warns us that if we spend this life living for ourselves, then we will have no life in the next one. Years ago, there was a movie that came out called Gladiator. Played, uh, uh, the main character in the movie was played by the actor Russell Crowe. He played a Roman general. And at the very beginning of the movie, they're out on the battlefield and, and Crowe's character is rallying his troops together. And he makes this statement right before they charge down the hill. He says, what we do in life echoes throughout eternity. While the movie Gladiator is fiction, the statement is very true. What we do in this life, how we live this life, the decisions that we make, particularly the decision to either follow Jesus or reject Jesus, will echo throughout eternity. There are eternal consequences for our decisions in this life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If we're willing to place our lives in the hands of God, nothing that we could possibly gain in this life will compare to what we will find in Christ. By embracing the opposition that will come our way from following Jesus, by embracing the shame, the suffering, and even death that will come from aligning ourselves with Christ, we will find true life. It's what Jesus talks about in John 10.10 when he talks about the abundant life. And and that's for the here and now. And then there's the eternal life that is found in the age to come. Verse 36 and 37, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, when Jesus asked this question to the to the crowds and to the disciples. This was a rhetorical question. But to the readers of the Gospel of Mark in the first century and to us today, the question bears an answer. What will it profit us if we gain the whole world and forfeit our soul? And what can we give in exchange for our souls? The answer is simple. Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing that we can give in exchange for our souls. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You can gain all the money, all the possessions. You can garner all the approval, the honor, the glory, all the comforts of life, the safety that the world offers. But ultimately, you will find that it will cost you your very soul. What a shame it would be to live out your life without ever knowing the giver of life. What a shame it would be to live out your life and never know the giver of life. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? No amount of possessions, money, power, or prestige can buy back one's soul. You see, when each one of us stands before Almighty God, there will only be one thing that matters, and that is whether you accepted the invitation 
to follow him. That's all that'll matter. You see, if we're not careful, we can sacrifice eternity for a moment of pleasure. If we're not careful, we can sacrifice eternity for a moment of pleasure. For what is the span of a lifetime compared to eternity? Even if you live to be 100 years old, what is 100 years compared to eternity? Life is short. And how many mistakes would we be saved from if only we would look at things in light of eternity? Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into the glory of his Father and the holy angels. To be ashamed of Christ and his words is another way to express rejection of Jesus and his teachings and refusal to confess him publicly. This would be the person who's more concerned with being accepted by the world than by Christ. You've heard it said that there are only two certainties in life. Death and what? Taxes. I would add two more to that list. There are, there are two more certainties in life. First, the return of Jesus. Church, he's coming back. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But Jesus is coming back. And the second is this. We will all stand before God Almighty and have to give an account for what we did in this life. For Jesus to be ashamed of someone is for him to reject that person. So as we begin to land this plane, I want to take a moment to now explain how will we help the people of First Baptist LaGrange become disciples who embrace great commandment love, which fuels great commission living. This is it. By providing a discipleship pathway for all members to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to provide a pathway for all of you to grow as followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to do this in two different ways. First, by providing discipleship spaces. These are different venues where you will have the opportunity to grow as a disciple. There are various ways, spaces that we have here where you can come and you will grow as a disciple. First, what we're doing right now, coming every Sunday morning, hearing the Word of God preached and proclaimed is a way that you can grow as a disciple of Jesus. Secondly, getting involved in a growth group. We have growth groups that meet right now on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, throughout the week. Get involved in a growth group. Another way that we have to grow is through something we call D-circles or discipleship circles. These are groups of three to four, either men or women, gender-specific groups that meet weekly for about a year's time. Some have gone on a little bit longer, and they meet for a little deeper discipleship and accountability. We want to begin a new ministry here uh, called Life to Life. This is very much a Paul-Timothy model, a one-on-one discipleship, particularly for new believers who can be paired with more mature believers to help guide them in their faith. We, we have in the past and will continue to offer special studies um, to help you in your growth. And then something new that will be coming this fall on Wednesday nights here at the church, we will be offering what we're calling spiritual growth classes, classes that focus specifically on equipping you and the different aspects of the Christian faith. The second part of this pathway will involve ministry opportunities. 
And these are opportunities to put into practice the things that we are learning in our discipleship spaces. This shows up in different ways. First, service opportunities, both inside the church and the different ministries that are available, but also outside of the church. We want to provide you with missions opportunities on the local, state, national, and even uh, international level. On a local level, we have ministries that we're involved in, such as the Amen Center. There's also Second Chance here in town that you can get involved in. On the state level, we have a ministry that goes to, that goes to Austin, Church Under the Bridge, to help with needs amongst the homeless. We're fixing to take a trip down to the border in July to meet some needs down there. We're re-engaging our partners overseas, particularly in El Salvador. Our pastor will be going down this fall to re-engage with those brothers and sisters to see how we can partner with them. And then lastly, finding ways to engage the seven mountains of culture or influence. These are the areas of education, government, media, home, church, business, science, and medicine. How can we as the body of Christ, how can we as believers go into those areas? Some of us work in those areas. And how can we have an influence for the gospel in those areas? We want to help with that. You see, the opportunity to become is there. But here's the thing, you have to be willing to accept the invitation. Now, it is true that it is the responsibility of a shepherd to take his sheep to pasture so they can feed. But a shepherd cannot make his sheep eat. The sheep make the decision whether to eat or not. So hear me when I say this, church. If you are here, if you're a part of this body and you are not growing as a disciple, hear me clearly, it is not because you haven't been led to good pastures, but it's because you're choosing not to feed. Spirituality and growth are not automatic. It takes work. It takes work. A fable was once told about three men traveling across the desert. They encountered an old prospector who told them a few miles ahead was a dry creek bed. He told them that they should gather as many rocks as possible out of the bottom of the creek as they could, and in the morning they would be both glad and sorry. The next morning they discovered the stones had turned into diamonds, and the words of the prospector became true to them. And they remembered his words when he said, you'll be both glad and sorry. They were glad for what they had picked up, but sorry that they had not taken the time to gather more. You see, this fable is a picture of life. It costs us energy, time, discipline to mature spiritually. But in hindsight, we are sorry we didn't invest more time. To the Christian this morning, I would ask you, are you further along in your walk with Christ than you were when you first came to know Him? For most, you would probably say yes. But then let me ask you this. Are you further along in your walk with Christ than you were at this time last year? That gets a little more personal. What is the trend of your life? Is it growth or is it stagnation? You see, if you have not been all in as a disciple, I want to challenge you today to recommit yourself to being a full-time disciple. Jesus is not looking for part-time disciples. 
to the non-Christian that may be here today or listening or watching online, I would ask you this question. What is keeping you from accepting Jesus' invitation to follow him? I will tell you the truth and that the path of discipleship is hard. It's filled with suffering, sacrifice, selflessness, and possibly even death. But in the long run, it's worth the cost. Allegiance to Christ is always worth the, is always worth the cost. I want to invite you today to come to Jesus, to accept his invitation to follow him as a disciple. And I promise you this, it is the best decision that you will ever make. A choice must be made. Remember, our, our choices have eternal consequences that will echo throughout eternity. A choice has to be made. I made my choice a long time ago as an eight-year-old boy. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. What choice will you make today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made it clear what the call is to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you. It's not an easy road, but it's the best one. It's the one that leads to eternal life. And God, if there's anyone here today that's never made that decision, pray that right now in this moment that they would choose to follow you. Father, for the believer that's here today, listening online, watching, God, that hasn't been all in, God, may they recommit themselves to say, wherever you lead, I'll go, Lord. This time is yours, Lord. We pray that you would move in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?